the regulatory burden in EMEA is much higher than the one in the US. Yes. And companies in EMEA don't benefit from the gaps that are probably created from a regulatory perspective between state level and federal level in the US. Mm. There are things that states are expected to put into writing. There are things that come down from the federal level. In EMEA, in the EU, the regulatory burden is very much a mandatory one, and it's a huge one on companies. It used to be just financial right. services, but that's expanding now with the corporate sustainability, due diligence right. directive, directive. with the German Supply Chain Act and others. First of all, when we look at that regulatory shifting sands, both in EMEA and in the US, to me, and the way that I look at it, it points to a change in the level of significance or importance or attention that organizations are putting or giving to ESG topics. Global companies face unprecedented risks and challenges in today's economy. To mitigate these legal and economic risks, companies are rapidly embracing and elevating the importance of robust ethics and compliance programs to promote positive corporate citizenship. On Corruption, Crime and Compliance, you'll hear from industry leaders and insiders about how to create effective ethics and compliance programs that will mitigate risks and maximize financial performance. Here's your host, Michael Volkov. Well, hello, everyone. Really happy to start off the new year with the great guest here, Natalie Druckmann. She's from CERTA, and I hope I pronounced that correctly, C-E-R-T-A. Natalie, welcome. Happy New Year to you. And we're going to have an interesting discussion, I think, about third-party risk management and some of the work that you do. But welcome, first off. Happy New Year to you. Hope you had a great holidays with your family and enjoy it and relaxing as well. Thank you. Great to be here. Thanks for having me and Happy New Year to you too. So Natalie, tell us a little bit about your background, not because I'm a compliance geek, but you did work at a cool company, Coupa. How did you end up at CERTA and tell us what you're doing there? Sure. So I spent the last three and a half years in Coupa leading their global TPRM or risk and performance management SME team was a global team of SMEs supporting customers kind of throughout their risk transformation process. Therefore, as I mentioned, three and a half years and loved it. Got to meet amazing group of people that I worked with and an amazing group of customers that I worked with and was able to kind of influence their TPRM programs, ensure kind of their continuous compliance, which was a nice step for me to take after my previous life in which I've managed several TPRM transformation programs across both public sector and private sector, done that for close to 10 years, and then bumped into Coupa as a customer, kind of jumped the fence, moved to Coupa, spent three and a half years there, and then was approached by SATA. One of the sales managers that I worked with in Coupa has transitioned into the CRO role in CERTA and right. contacted me and said that CERTA is ready to expand into the EMEA market. So Europe, Middle East and Africa, they're looking for someone to come in and lead that region. Just to be clear, they're not looking. He wants me. But wow. That's a good job process to go through where somebody comes and says, hey, will you come here? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the way that my career kind of rolled 
on, starting with delivery and implementation and being kind of on that side of the table, allowed me to move to the sales side of the table with much more experience and credibility and ability really to support customers, not just like going through sales pitches, but actually understanding what it is that they want to do and what is the journey that they're on and really take kind of more of a consultative approach rather than kind of a hard no sell approach. That's interesting. You mentioned that. We'll get to Serta in a second, but because we have worked with clients who have, let's say, bought a platform or bought a service, and then frankly, we get involved in the implementation of it from a legal standpoint and what thresholds and settings and things like that. But that's interesting that the sales process that you're talking about is one that's more consultative, meaning that you get involved with the implementation as well. Absolutely. I never believed in, and it was the approach that I took in Coupa and the approach that I'm taking now in Cert. I never believed in sales kind of throwing the implementation over the fence. We as sales professionals are accountable to our customer's success. So making sure that the solution that we are selling, designing and implementing meets the requirements of each and every single customer should be our highest priority and is my highest priority. Obviously, I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not there to provide legal advice on what customers should or should not be doing, but I can give advice on how. So So tell us about CERTA and the work that you're doing there. It also would be great to hear about the product, and we'll get to the AI capabilities, how that's sort of the icing on the cake. But first, tell us about CERTA, sort of the work that you're doing on third-party risk management. Sure. So CERTA is an American company, headquarters in the Bay Area, San Francisco. Been in the market for, I would say, four or five years now. Established with massive global enterprise customers, very successful implementations, And as I mentioned, expanding now into the EMEA markets as well. And the purpose, the goal, the mission behind CERTA is to deliver that one-stop shop for anything and everything, third-party risk management-related, compliance-related. So whether it's ESG, whether it's financial health, whether it's information security, whether it's anti-bribery, anti-corruption, whether it's sanctions, whether it's any operational risks that you might think of and are different between different companies, different industries. CERTA brings all that information into a single kind of source of truth and allows customers to streamline those processes, as you mentioned, with the help of AI as kind of the cherry on top, but really at the very base, at the very core of it, using a highly configurable, incredibly powerful workflow capability that we have that is by far the best I've seen in the market. And I've been in the market for a while. There are so many things to unpack there that you talked about. First, talking about putting all the risk together. And what we've seen, particularly in the last year, is that cybersecurity has become so significant. You know, it's the number one board risk. And there have been surveys to show that And one of the sort of most significant trends that we've seen is compliance starting to work with IT. And IT is now saying, hey, we want a seat at the third-party risk table because obviously we go back to Target in 2012 and the attack on Target occurred because they went through a third-party air conditioner repair person and they got into all the credit data that way. But 
I love the idea of what you're talking about. And then other people I see will sort of string together different services like Dun & Bradstreet for financial or whatever. And what you're saying, which I just love the idea of and picking up on that trend is sort of brings all the risks together. Talk about how important that is for your clients. I mean, in the end, you save a ton of money by using the one service and integrating it and becoming more efficient. Yes, of course. To start with, or if I take it even a step back, IT traditionally, historically, it's kind of sitting in a corner room somewhere. Right, a silo. Right? Did what they did. No one asked questions. No one really wanted to know. And no one was bothered except for the CISO, really, right? The chief information security officer. I think the realization that information security or cybersecurity risks are introducing real operational resilience risks to companies that can damage their reputation, that can damage their revenue, is very much at the heart of the decision to bring IT into the table. The importance of that is when you have those different silos, when you have compliance sitting in one place looking after compliance, legal looking after legal, data privacy looking after data privacy, right? So looking after the cybersecurity, sustainability or ESG or corporate social responsibility team sits somewhere else and only cares about carbon footprint and diversity in another corner, then you have gaps between those teams. And when procurement, who is usually kind of the team that sits there and trying to bring all those, tie all those threads together, when procurement is trying to onboard a new third party, a new supplier, when you're trying to onboard a customer, if you're looking at kind of a know your customer scenario, then you either have an infinite, really complex task of trying to bring all that information together to get that wholesome profile, or you miss stuff. And when you miss stuff, you onboard a supplier that hasn't been checked by information security because there wasn't a single process that made sure that that supplier went through each and every single step. Or you onboard a supplier and then realize, you know, if we're thinking about the UFLPA, then we onboard a supplier and then all of a sudden realize that they have a factory in China. In China, yeah. So when you bring it all together, the only way to avoid these gaps and to avoid these risks being introduced into organizations is to bring it all together and manage it all centrally using one streamlined, automated process. That is music to my ears because we deal with clients and their gaps all the way around. And it depends which industry you're in, but just like, for example, we had a client in the apparel industry and they had a corporate social responsibility, whatever department that would go out and they had to onboard people and all that onboard factories, onboard contractors, things like that. They did a great job, but on the other hand, they were missing so many other parts of the equation. And your point about that is just so important for overall risk management. The second area, though, I want to also raise with you, and not to pick on you because you're in Europe or in England, is the EU is moving, and so are all the countries in the EU, moving towards sort of taking the lead on sustainability. We've heard about the German Supplier Due Diligence Act. You have the EU acts coming up. The UK itself is getting involved, obviously, in sustainability. So, I kind of see your region as you guys are ahead of where the United States is. We have the UFLPA and there's still political controversy over ESG and other things like that. So 
Talk about from your perspective and working with CERTA, you are sort of at the cutting edge of what the regulatory frameworks are imposing upon companies. And how do you work on that with CERTA and to make sure that, let's say, in EMEA, your region, that you're addressing those concerns? Sure. So first of all, I've been saying for years that the regulatory burden in EMEA is much higher than the one in the U.S. Yes. And companies in EMEA don't benefit from the gaps that are probably created from a regulatory perspective between state level and federal level in the U.S. Mm. There are things that states are expected to put into writing. There are things that come down from the federal level. In EMEA, in the EU, the regulatory burden is very much a mandatory one, and it's a huge one on companies. It used to be just financial right. services, but that's expanding now with the corporate sustainability, due diligence right. directive, directive. with the German Supply Chain Act and others. First of all, when we look at that regulatory shifting sands, both in EMEA and in the US, to me, and the way that I look at it, it points to a change in the level of significance or importance or attention that organizations are putting or giving to ESG topics. And I'm saying ESG specifically and not sustainability because sustainability has this kind of a greenwashing image to right. it, maybe a bit vague. It's subjective to interpretation or omissions, either you know, right. intentional or, in, or unintentional. ESG clearly highlights the S in ESG. We're no oh. longer talking about the environmental, carbon footprint, conflict minerals topics. We're talking about diversity. We're talking about modern slavery. We're talking about child labor. We're talking about gender pay gaps. All of these things now coming yeah. under that S, under that social aspect. And those things, as I mentioned earlier, they have both huge reputational impacts, but revenue impacts as well. And I think when companies are now looking to address the operational resilience or operational risks that might affect their operational resilience, ESG is becoming incredibly important. More and more companies are addressing ESG topics and are putting that side by side next to cybersecurity risks, next to financial risks, because a modern slavery scandal will crash a share price like nothing else. Right. So we're looking at forced labor issues. We're looking at Modern Slavery Act, obviously. What I notice is just a sort of greater acceptance, an easier acceptance of regulation by companies in the EMEA region. In other words, there's not as much sort of innate resistance like there is in the United States to some of these regulations. And I think that raises challenges for global companies in particular because they're looking at, okay, United States is a little less focused on this, but I have to design this global system that maybe will address what I call the lowest or highest common denominator. We see that on a much smaller scale in sort of the cyber area and data breaches because we don't have a federal law. And I worked in Congress and I can tell you it is dysfunctional on this issue because I always tried to get this issue dealt with in terms of a federal law. And what happens, like you said, it references to the states. The toughest state becomes the lowest common denominator for the U.S. 
and your point about what's going on in the EU and going on in Europe and the UK is really well taken for global companies. But I just feel that there's more willingness or acceptance of the need to embrace these issues because you're not only just regulatory, I also feel that your stakeholders demand it in your region. It's sort of accepted that you will do this. I think there is a very strong drive here for companies and stakeholders, not just to do the right thing, meaning buying with regulations, but doing the good thing as well. Beautiful way to say it. Beautiful. Um, And I think here in the EMEA region, those are on par. We're trying to do the good thing at the same time. Wow. I'm going to steal that from you for a blog post and I'll attribute it to you, but thank you for that. Across the pond, you're in front of the United States with regard to AI regulation and where you see AI going. But what I love is the fact that CERTA is embracing this and making this a big part of their huge product. I've heard AI used in due diligence or whatever that people made those claims years ago. But what I was struck by and the reason I was really interested in speaking to you is to hear about how AI is incorporated into this process and how you see that sort of playing out, how it's incorporated into your program and how any suggestions you have in terms of when people are looking at solutions, what they should look for with regard to AI in the third-party risk management process. Because I think this is transformative. I want to get your expertise on that. Yeah, of course. So as you mentioned, right, I think the use of AI is changing the world. It offers unparalleled opportunities to streamline TPRM processes. It can improve analytical capabilities, improve risk forecasting capabilities, and improve decision-making through having insights. We at CERTA have a few types, a few flavors of AI, if you will, across the solution that we're using across the platform to support all of those processes, if you will. We're merging essentially advanced generative AI technology with third-party management, and it really is marking a new era in operational agility. It allows us to optimize workflows. It allows us to have intuitive data visualization. It allows us to have streamlined supplier onboarding. And some of those capabilities include what we call design AI. Design AI essentially allows users to design workflows using natural language. That means that even if you're not tech savvy, if you have no idea how to configure workflows on a platform, if you've never done that before, you can go to CertAssist and type, I want to create a workflow that says that If suppliers are providing me with service type X, I want them to go through process Y, Z, one, two, three. Natural language and CERTA will create that workflow for you. That means that if you need to make changes to workflows because regulations change, if you need to add workflows because there is a new risk domain that kind of popped up two, three, four years down the line, If you need to add stakeholders, remove stakeholders from workflows, you can do that using natural language. You don't need to go to the back of it, start coding or start even fiddling with a no-code, low-code configuration. Then there is Insights AI. And Insights AI is about collecting and analyzing data and making that much more accessible and much more efficient. So again, we 
harness that same power of conversational analytics, if you will, and enable users to dialogue directly with their data. I want to create a report that shows me all suppliers that provide me with service X and a risk score of Y. I want to see all suppliers that have a facility in China. I want to see all suppliers that have a footprint in Germany, because then I might need to check that they're complying with the German supply chain. Right. So again, using that Insights AI capability, it just empowers our customers to transform their data into actionable intelligence. And then the last type is Recall AI. And using Recall AI, we can guarantee rapid and consistent responses from suppliers, from customers, by leveraging past interactions. So we can recall past interactions, past responses into questionnaires, into surveys, into forms, into processes and workflows. Mm -hmm. Obviously not auto-submit it because we want to get an attestation, right? That what we've right. collated in the past still corrected is still correct. But it essentially reduces the burden both on the internal users needing to submit and resubmit and resubmit or review and re-review and re-review and approve, and on the third parties needing to re-complete these surveys, these questionnaires right. again and again and again. Yeah. The efficiency that that brings into the process is absolutely game-changing. And I've been on both sides of that due diligence. Oh, that, eh? Yeah, but that. Natalie, what you're describing is incredible to me because... You know, I'm kind of like the Flintstones, that's an old reference, doing the chisel and the hammer, okay? But what you're talking about, and this is really actually inspiring, is using AI to change the workflow process or to simplify the workflow process, which is an important function where we'll sit with clients and say, okay, here's this decision, where do you want that to go? If it's a yes, you go there, no, who does that, who does that? We build a clunky thing through putting little triangles or whatever for decision trees. What you're saying is look at how AI can transform even that beginning process. The second part that you talked about that I definitely, and I, frankly, that's what we heard for years was we can search data and, you know, whatever AI, we're great AI. We use AI in our due diligence and all that. I get that. And it's much more efficient this way. But even what I'm hearing also is amazing, is how it would change auditing and monitoring of your third parties, your third party population with this recall and using the data and the need for, okay, we have a renewal coming up for a third party. You're not just sitting there waiting for them to fill out the questionnaire again. You're saying you're using the recall, you're using all of your entire platform to put you in a position where you already know a lot of those things. And it reduces the cost or the burden or the time in the auditing and monitoring functions. I'm breaking it down into the functions that I know. And you're saying across the board, these flavors, if you use them all, it's transformative in terms of time and attention and more efficient, which is incredible. It's and, the definition of optimization. That's yeah. It's the definition of it. Wow. I knew I responded to the right person in talking to you about this, but also to hear about Serta's capabilities here. And you'd be surprised at how many people, and I'm sure you know this, that first off, don't have an automated platform. 
okay? And second off, have antiquated platforms that were put in five years ago that now technology and what you're offering, it's like a, a whole new world. Absolutely. There is this perception from conversations I've had with prospects and customers over the years that only if you're a tier one bank, then you need an automated solution. Oh, we're not at that level of maturity or we're not at that size or we don't really face risks like tier one banks do. But that's actually not the case. And if anything, I look at it the other way around. I think tier one banks have the manpower and the money and the resource and the experience and the maturity to handle risk in, frankly, whichever way they want to handle risk. If right. we're looking at smaller companies, and that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, kind of your mom and pop shops, right? It just right. smaller, mid kind of size, even large size enterprises, not just in the financial services industry, across any industry that you can think of. Those are exactly the companies that should look into their risk management processes and understand if what they're doing is enough or not enough. Because if it's not enough, it's a matter of time. Absolutely. Well, look, the other thing that we see with third-party risk management, in particular, bribery, now we're running into, I mean, probably the highest priority now in the United States for prosecution or sanctions. Mm -hmm. And... The government has come out and basically said the Justice Department companies were coming after you and were assigning 25 new prosecutors. Once you say that, 25 people don't sit around and twiddle their thumbs. They've got to produce. So they're going after companies. So third parties in the sanctions area in particular are a huge risk, as well as the UFLPA, as you mentioned earlier. But what I'm hearing is that this is the wave of the future. I really say that, Natalie, CERTA is the wave of the future for an automated platform. People are stuck with five years ago and it's already outdated. One other comment I wanted to make is that what I see, at least in terms of who we're dealing with, we're dealing with manufacturing companies. We're dealing with unregulated companies that now realize the reputational harm that can occur, let alone bribery or sanctions or whatever. And it's transformative in that sense, in terms of third-party risk management. The mid-sized companies, you're right, they're different. They're still sort of getting to that point. But what I've seen across all the industries, finance and regulated, is that everybody is on board, particularly global companies these days, in any industry whatever they are. I don't know, do you see that same sort of pattern in terms of global companies in general are saying, look, we've got to address this issue? Yes. Over the last few years, there have been a good few scandals in the media with you right. know, companies names appearing on the front page of a newspaper with right. regards to modern slavery, with regards to sanctions, with regards to anti-bribery, anti-corruption, regulations with regards to CO2 emissions, waste dumping, equal pay, gender pay gap, right. diversity, and so on. So I'm definitely seeing global organizations kind of just getting on board and saying, okay, we need to address this. We need to fix this. We need to address this. Because, you know, I said it when we started, and I truly believe that nothing hits a share price worse than a social scandal. 
the S in the ESG. Absolutely. Get one. But I say, but you know what? Third-party risk management to me is an essential aspect of the G that's needed to manage the S. Okay. And without that, I think we're getting to the point where the G is going to be prescriptive in a sense that everybody better be doing this. Correct. And to your point, I think most global organizations understand that they should be doing it. I'm still surprised in conversations that I have with prospects and customers that ask me to not sell them a solution, but sell them on the concept of having a solution to start with. What's the ROI? Yeah. And then the next one is we have a paper program where we send the questionnaires via email. I said, if you walked into the Department of Justice with that, they would say, sorry, you're out of bounds. By the way, even to the point now where, for example, the Justice Department, the Securities and Exchange Commission in the United States, they know about these solutions. They go to the conferences and they walk the you know, exhibit halls and they learn through remediation programs that people put in what the industry is offering. And if you walk in without, let's say, the capabilities that you're talking about, they're going to know that a decision was made not to bring that in. And you better have a documentation as to why you didn't and a pretty good justification. Well, look, I'm ready to work for the CERTA sales team. I'll be moving to the UK with my wife. Well, we live in Sicily six months a year, so we'll just commute for a while. Yeah. You won't get the same weather as Sicily, but... That's for sure. That's for sure. Natalie, this has been fantastic. Can you tell me if people want to reach out to you or to CERTA, what's the best way for any of our listeners to contact you to sort of follow up with information on this? Absolutely. So contact me either on LinkedIn, Natalie Druckmann, or via email. It's nat, N-A-T, at CERTA.ai. And always happy to jump on a call, always happy to share more information or connect yeah. to teams within CERTA. Okay. And we'll put your LinkedIn profile into the show notes for this episode. Thank you again. Let's stay in touch because I'd like to hear back from you as to get a status report down the road in a year or so as to what you're seeing and how this is going. And we wish you great success because for me, it's a little bit of peace of mind for my clients to address this issue on a holistic perspective. But thank you so much. Natalie, all the best to you. Have a great year. We want to see a lot of success for you and we appreciate everything. Thank you. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, the best way to support the show is by subscribing on your favorite listening platform. To learn more and connect with Michael Volkov, go to volkovlaw.com. 